this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Thank you for tuning in to the Hop Nerd Podcast, home of safety anarchists, outlaws, and misfits. Sam Goodman is not here right now as he's out doing hop stuff and hanging out on a vacation. Leave your message after the tone. But really, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in the office. <laughs> I'm not. You know this already. I'm out and about doing all kinds of fun hop stuff, mixing business and pleasure, leisure and work, and I'm just doing that. So I'm doing some hop stuff. I'm wandering around. I'm traveling. Ooh, scary. I know I'm traveling, and I'm taking a little bit of a vacation. So with all that being said, today is a Hop Nerd Rewind. You know how we do around these parts. And I wanted to go back to one of my most favorite episodes, my favoritist, one of my most favoritist episodes that I tell people to go listen to all the time, all the time. I just had a conversation a while back with Teresa Swinton, and I was I was talking about this episode, so I thought, what better thing to do than to share it? And it's me hanging out with Dr. Tim Ludwig and talking, hmm, BBS and hop. And it's really, really, really cool. Make sure you check out Tim's stuff. Make sure you follow along with him on LinkedIn. He's got some great work out there. He's got an amazing book, but I'm going to shut up. But before I do, head over to the website, www.hopner.com, www.pillarsmedia.co. Safety Sucks Manifesto is coming in May. Okay, now I'll shut up. Oh, and social media. There you go. Follow along on social media. Leave us a review too if you get a chance. Here we go. Before I sit here and reminisce about the balance for too long, let me, <laughs> let me say thank you for coming on. That's it's it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you here. Um, you and I had started a little bit of a conversation and some comments on LinkedIn a while back, and it kind of led to us kind of linking up and and doing this. And I'd mentioned that I had uh, I had read Dysfunctional Practices, which I I love, by the way. I'm actually just now going back and uh, just started the other day listening to the audiobook version of it because I spent a lot of a lot of seat time driving. So yeah, I'm going that's, back that's why I did it. The, the audio version is for the safety professional that uh, has to be in the seat going on. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's such a, so I, I'm, I'm kind of weird and wonky with that. I'm the person that will buy the book, read the majority of the book and then go buy the audio book and <laughs> listen to it again. And then from that, go back to the book <laughs> and start scribbling. <laughs> notes. And things like but uh, we started in and down this conversation around, um, and I've actually been asked this question a bunch, uh, around the future of behavior-based safety and hop. And um, you've seen it, I've seen it, right? There's oh, yeah. this, there's this really deeply entrenched, film, I, I guess it is tribalism, right? It's, it's this, this I'm on this side and you're on that side and we're going to get mad at each other and get mad at each other in the comments on social media about how I'm right and you're wrong. And <laughs> it's just not, it doesn't seem healthy for a profession uh, because it's moving beyond really a good, healthy conversation and into that, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, and it doesn't, it doesn't yeah, seem I like it's anywhere productive. I absolutely concur. And, and from a, a behavioral science perspective, uh, it's silly. It's just silly because it's well. First of all, we're all on the same side. You know, we all have the same mission. You know, and and it's it it shouldn't be put into camps for marketing purposes and 
and uh, people just getting their name out there because it's a popular thing to, to bash one or the other. Um, most of the uh, professionals I know uh, that kind of came from the science that are now practitioners, I kind of straddle. I'm still a researcher. I'm still at a university. I have an active pra- practice for the last 35 years uh, going out and, and doing it. And I've got to a point where I realized that the term BBS is really just a marketing term. And if you really look at behavioral safety, the the process by which you go out and observe and give feedback and stuff, just one piece of it, right? And then as you start kind of, if you if you start from the science up, just give me a moment to kind of describe that. From the science as described in the book, uh, there's no blaming the worker. <laughs> we're, we're using the worker's behavior Um, looking at it neutrally, dispassionately as a data source. And once we have that data source and we do a a real analysis where we're not trying to change the person or we're not trying to like uh, uh, retrain them or discipline or anything like that, once we know what these behaviors are and these trends are, and then we do our analysis, they point at the very systems that need to get changed. HOP, right? Right. It's a data source, you know, and an objective, uh, real data source for the type of, of intervention, systems interventions. That we just call them systems interventions in the past. Yeah. HOB came along and did a really good job of categorizing them, uh, linking them to hazards, linking them to uh, a lot of other important uh, variables out there right. that engineers and, and, and folks thinking at the systems levels could do. Um, why they said this was a replacement for the very source of data that would help them target those HOP interventions better, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and, and the old model, just say, you know, now we know where the where the holes are in the cheese or the yeah. dominoes yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. In the end, we're talking about the same thing. And uh, from, from an HOP perspective, there's a lot to teach us behavioral folks. Um, we, are, we have an area of behavior science called behavioral systems analysis. So we're working with systems. And in my research, uh, we're, we're starting to look at analytics and you know, trying to predict uh, behaviors, trying to predict incidents. And what we're finding is just using the basic tried and true uh, leading indicators and numbers like that, it's not getting us the variance that we want. We're not, we're not uh, finding the predictive validity we want just using safety data. Guess where the data is? in our human resources data, in our operations data, in our quality data, in our engineering, in our in our um, procurement and, and things like that. And so my behavioral practice, when I work with clients now, uh, yeah, there's a basic tried and true worker-oriented data collection and the feedback and trending the data, finding systems and stuff. I'm spending more time working with procurement, working with engineers, wow, working yeah. with, with the operations, uh, helping them understand from their from their systems how their systems are are creating the occasion for workers to take risks, right? And there's when you get some right. sustainable, and that's yeah. and that has to include the two of us going together. I had a conversation after ASSP a couple years ago. I met uh, Rick Pollock, who was the president at the time, um, at a at a BBS conference, Behavioral Safety Now. And he heard me speak. He came up afterwards and just looked me in the eye and goes, we're talking about the same thing. <laughs> yes. And I think, I think real folks that are kind of get stand, step back from the marketing, have conversations, find out exactly. that it's the same source of excellence. It's the same source of trying to find the variance, fixing the problems and, and you know, reducing human suffering. That's the whole point. Exactly. And I would encourage folks to go out and pick up your book. Let me say that right now, because 
um, as I'm reading through it, 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 it's exactly what you just described. I'm reading through and I'm going, okay, this is not what I expected it to be. <laughs> right. Just to be honest with you, to be completely honest with you, because when I, when I first picked it up, um, I was drawn to it first by the cover. So let me say that yeah, the cover was, is yeah. awesome. So can let me, let me just throw that out there. It's awesome. <laughs> so I was drawn to it first by the cover and then it hooked me and I'm reading through it and it's, it's just phenomenal. So I, again, for folks out there listening, I would encourage you to go pick up a copy of Dysfunctional Practice. It's on Amazon. It's pretty much anywhere I would assume, right? Um, yeah, for yeah. folks to go grab that. Um, but how much of that do you think came from almost this bastardization of BBS? It seems like in, at least from my experience with certain, uh, I grew up in in, ut- in the utility space uh, and yeah. power generation, and it seems like uh, certain elements of BBS at least got a bad rap because some organizations almost viewed it as an easy button. And they're like, okay, this is great. I can take this. I can use yeah. an observation card and I can fix people. And then if I can't fix them, I'll, I'll back to labeling. We'll p- pick on the book a little bit. We, we can yeah. label them as stupid and then we can just move on, right? Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so what, what would you say to those folks out there that have, have, it is that to me, from what I've seen, it's almost a bastardization of it. What would you say to those folks? Yeah. On the surface, uh, I, I made a, a, early in my career, I made a um, nice little career going out and kind of fixing uh, programs <laughs> that needed fixing. And it was the low hanging fruit, I had to admit. Uh, and I learned a lot from it. Um, I, I think it, it is a relatively simple technology. You know, uh, uh, industry is very good at making checklists. Mm-hmm. You know, checklist manifesto proves it. Right. Uh, and uh, having uh, workers give feedback to each other is, is something that's kind of commonplace as well. You know, and, and then we picked up uh, the uh, when we were building BBS back in the day, we were picking up a lot of stuff from the Deming revolution, the quality revolution. So, you know, we right. started building these employee teams around it and, and then we applied our science to it to interpret the behaviors and stuff like that. All that nuanced stuff, you know, the, 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 the team building and the, the reason why empowering a work group uh, gives you better results than the manager uh, driven kind of programs. The, um, the pinpointing of the behaviors as opposed to outcomes and then the systems analysis of it. So the, the nuanced approaches typically just get lost, right? right. And so then, you know, if, if you hear BBS, you're saying, oh, that's observation feedback and then we retrain them. Right. <laughs> and right. Uh, I work, I work uh, with an not-for-profit called the Cambridge Center for Behavioral Studies. And uh, it, uh, our mission is to reduce human suffering in all its forms uh, through the application of behavioral science. And there's a lot of ways of doing that, right? There's mm-hmm. in schools, uh, COVID infection prevention, policing, you know, anywhere there's a behavior, there's a group of scientists and folks that practicing uh, the science who have something to say about it. Our group is focusing on safety and we have a commission. And our job is to go out and accredit the best behavioral safety uh, programs in the world. We have like 23 of them. And uh, we're, we're hard at work kind of taking all that information, trying to put it together in one place. You can go to behavior.org and follow the safety tabs. And you can see all the applications and all our reviews and, and uh, the like, trying to trying to pull out what the best practices are. You know, so we got the, the science and we know how to how to do that, but then bring in the best practices in real life. And we, we're learning so much across the board out there. And the, the stock BBS program program, uh, it typically isn't done very well, but then when you see it's done well and you really see the impact of it, you find that these programs are going beyond just that 
That's a pretty straightforward observation feedback. There's a company in England called Constain who has built a, what they call a behavior management program that, again, all the engineers have to take and all the procurement folks have to take. And they have to, they have to articulate, pinpoint, if you will, how their behaviors impact the, the risk taking of the frontline worker. And that's when it gets super powerful, right? Mm -hmm. That's so far beyond, but that's still behavioral safety. Right. Uh, but it's it's so far beyond what could easily be described as kind of a one size fits all. And, you know, the folks out there, Lehman and others that criticize BBS. And, and when I talk to them, yeah, they got good points. When it's mm -hmm. done badly, it blames the worker. It right. just retrains people, which is another way of calling them stupid. And it's not sustainable because of a variety of reasons. And so, um, you know, it, it, uh, it does have, in, in a way, frankly, for somebody in my perspective, you know, it's, it's kind of a good thing. It kind of pushes us further. Right. right. You know, as long as it's not thrown out with the bathwater, um, you know, HOP is going to have its day too. Right. So it's so another acronym is going to come along and exactly. tell it's yeah. HOP's crap and right, exactly. you know, we got to get rid of it. And, <laughs> and that, that's a call to arms. It's kind of like, okay, mm -hmm. let's get together and find out a better way of doing it. Hold on one second. Oh, you're fine. Are you still there? Yep, I'm here. Yeah, sorry about that. I, <laughs> no, I'm you're good. hooked up with my phone and sorry, sorry, listeners. <laughs> no, you're good. Modern you're technology. Good. So, the, um, it, it, it's a call to arms and it, it forces us to go beyond. There was a point uh, in behavioral safety that it was the market. It was the market. And I think uh, that you could say, hey, everybody's doing so well that uh, the folks who are out there practicing, you know, didn't really have a reason to up it other than compete with each other. Right. And now my colleagues and I and the folks in HOP, I think it's a great opportunity to really up our game. And what we're trying to do in the Cambridge Center is do that, get these best practices, challenge ourselves to up our game. Well, and I think, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that, that, you know, there will be another acronym that comes along because you even see that right now in this HOP safety differently, safety one versus safety two kind of camp. You, you still get that with the, like even the safety. I was just listening to a conversation the other day where there's some folks in the safety two world are saying, oh, safety differently is still actually safety one. And it's not. So yeah, <laughs> there's even within there's there's some inviting, you know, and you're going, but we're all in the same. We're, we're all to the point, to your point, we're all on the same team. We're all ultimately just trying to do safety better. Right. We're just trying to make things better and, and discover it, disseminate it. And, and exactly. yeah, there's no it shouldn't be any copyright and safety. I mean, you, you work right. a lot of work on, on building your program, but even in, in I call it behavioral safety. But then it got called behavior based safety. Then, mm -hmm. you know, um, my friend McSween comes along and says, you know, there's a values based safety. And my my mentor, Scott Geller, you know, people based safety and, right. and then there's commitment based safety. And it's all this branding at that right. point, really. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I, and then nowadays you start seeing what's starting to emerge and it, it is in our behavioral area, but it does work with HOP as well. You know, as we, as we start learning more about the neurology of the human brain, right. Mm -hmm. We're discovering the, the facts of, of behavior kind of uh, from a neurological perspective, but then you, you're getting more and more in terms of level of processing in the cognitive psychology area and the, the system one, system two brain. And I had right. a conversation, long conversation with a client, you know, trying to get their arms around situational awareness and decision-making and trying to turn them onto the neurological perspective, right? Which, um, which could indeed represent the next wave. 
right? So maybe you and I should just come up with the acronym now and just. I think so. <laughs> so I say we need to come up with it and start marketing now. <laughs> That's it. Let's go. <laughs> work on it. But I think, you know, and then and the system stuff is, again, uh, from my perspective, uh, being a bit objective, but also practicing. You know, the cool thing about someone in my position having a university job is when I go with a client, I don't have a, bean, a can of beans to sell them. So I could just. You know, we can work on cool projects, right? right. I can learn from them and they, they, uh, we build stuff. And what we've been building kind of beyond the HOP stuff is going into engineering and procurement because these decisions of the behaviors of these people, verbal and otherwise, of these people are affecting the frontline worker. You know, and uh, you, you could talk about utilities quite, you know, talk about your maintenance schedules, your preventive maintenance schedules exactly. across the board. And then, um, you know, from a from a projects construction standpoint, it's it's like a very big piece of the variance. I, I call it a line for the front line. By the time the worker uh, finds himself in a position to take a risk, they've already lost. Right. right? And we've already lost. We've, we've failed them. And there are so many different people in so many different parts, not completely unaware that their behaviors are impacting this frontline workers to such a degree yeah. that, uh, that, um, so, you know, while behaviorally can go more and more, you know, neurologically get more and more really kind of micro, yeah. uh, at the same time, you know, our sciences and HOP can get together and start going more toward the macro and start asking yourself how the functions of an organization is, how it's set up. Now, too often, you know, we're talking about, you know, kind of safety systems and then, you know, then there's a whole bunch of people talking about leadership and you kind of miss this whole major piece of the workflow that delivers the products, the services, the designs, the maintenance, the, the, uh, the schedules, the budget, the, you know, supervision to the frontline worker, which is the very environment that influences their behavior. So I think uh, both, both of us have room to grow and it's only going to get better. Exactly. And I, I think that's the point that I keep finding myself back at because again, back, back to, back to reading the book and then, you know, we still end up in the same place, right? We still end up into fixing stuff that we can actually fix, right? We don't, we, we don't land on fixing people, right? Uh, either, no matter what we want to call it, what really cool acronym we want to come up with, we still find ourselves back in the territory of working on the weaknesses within the organization rather than trying to fix the work. And I really like your point of, you know, once that employee is in that position, we've already lost because now we're to the, to the point of relying on that person to make the right decision 100% of the time or bad things are going to happen. Yeah, exactly. But now let's not get too pejorative though. Yeah. Most of the time, the overwhelming majority of the time, I, I tell my clients, go out and watch behavior. Mm-hmm. What you're going to find is the overwhelming majority of the time, your workers are, are engaging in their tasks safely. Yeah. Right. So let's not let's not say like no. by the time we put our workers in a position to do these safe behaviors, we've already won as well. Yeah. And yeah, winning true. is uh, winning is what we want to shoot for. I th- you're, you're exactly right. It's a part that we miss a lot of times just in general, whether we're talking with obviously with behavior, we're talking with um, just safe work or safe outcomes. Um, we forget that we get it right the vast majority of the time. Our organizations, organizations out there do safe and stable work the majority <laughs> Of the exactly. So people, what you're looking for, people usually get it deviance. right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it's the deviance, right? It's, a, it's the variance, you know, from a scientific perspective, you're looking for variance yeah. and uh, just kind of like that one off, which we're really good at, right? That one off, you know, yeah. we do a behavioral observation, we all jump in and, you know, try to change the person. Um, 
you know, that's not that's not moving the bar at all. It's not all, but there are trends, and you know, from a statistical perspective, from uh, from the kind of the HOP analysis perspective, and certainly from a behavior analysis perspective, you know, there are ways of looking at these trends to find the sources of variance, mm-hmm. right? Even in a work activity that has itself under control, right? In utilities, there are high risk tasks people have been really trained to do, and there's fidelity and integrity around how they engage in it, right? And then wait a year, <laughs> right? you know, and they come, well, you may call complacency, fatigue, and other things, you know, start building back in the variance. And and I guess that's kind of my, uh, one of my points to HOPs, like if we're really good at preserving that and getting our finger around that behavioral variance, we now have the mechanism to attack it proactively before anybody gets hurt. Right. Right. Now, that, that's a very interesting point, because as you said, you, you give it give it some time. Right. And we start mm-hmm. to see that drift come into play. Right. And we start to start to see that happen. I think it's very important to, to recognize that. Um, what would you say to folks out there as we kind of go down this path? We touched on it just a little bit. I understand it's a very small piece, but the observation process itself, mm-hmm. because this, this is the question that I get a lot. Right. Um, and I thought, who better to ask? <laughs> Let me pass okay. the buck here. Let me pass the buck here a little bit. <laughs> no, but it's, I get this question a lot. Okay, as we get on this path, um, are observation cards now just useless to us? Um, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that as a loaded question. Let me say it like this. How do we do observations better? Because a lot of times it seems like we do end up in that spot um, where we, mm-hmm. we go out and we coach the worker and then we stop at that point uh, into your, to, to some of the conversation we're already having, a lot of what we're seeing that behavior is, is, is really as a symptom of something deeper within the system, right? The behavior is coming from Absolutely. somewhere. So how do we drive through that observation process to the system, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, I mean, I mean you kind of approach it from three different answers. Yeah, okay. So, you know, first of all, I, uh, it's such a simple thing to do to go out and observe somebody, but it's yeah. such a difficult thing to do, right? Because you, you do have you know, your system one, uh, arrive at a label, try to blame the person. Mm-hmm. We all do that. That's just our human, yeah. uh, our human neurology. Yeah. And I mean, the reason our brains are so big is because we're social creatures yeah. and our ancestors needed to be able to size somebody up really quick as evil or good. Best. And yeah. we still got that, right? So that's the first thing our brain does. But if we can, if we look at uh, the behavior we're seeing as kind of scientists objectively, right, you'll find that everything you need to know about why that behavior is occurring is available for observation. Mm. So, I mean, just point number one, go out and watch, don't detect with a card. Yeah. <laughs> you have a, you have an issue uh, you know, that I work with a steel manufacturer um, here in the South and he's, uh, he had an unfortunate incident, right? And he had been talking to me about that before in some of our conversations. And he goes, what do I do next? I said, well, sounds like you got a, like a week on the floor, buddy. You know, go out yeah. and just watch. Yeah. And, and not, not people, not that, but, and, and then talk to me next week. And his insights were spectacular. So the, yeah. the, the behavior of observation is a learning tool. And the big piece of data that I learned from John Austin and others more of the learning gets done by the observer than the person getting feedback. Cause now you got yourself five, 10, 15 minutes watching somebody do the task in the context. You can see the hazards around it. You can see the risks that you would take, right? Calculated risks and then be able to kind of play it out going, well, I need, I need to change my calculation now that I'm watching this. So the observation sans card without the card is already a win. 
right? right? If if we get our system one out of the way, then you put the card into play. And time after time, we got this little thing called pencil whipping. And that, yep. uh, and, and when I was down in Australia, they call it tick and flick. So it's just, yep, you yep, know, yep. not only, not only behavior <laughs> observation cards, inspections, you name it, there's a form you can, you can tick mm-hmm. it, right? Yep. Um, so my student, uh, Matt Lasky, who just uh, graduated uh, uh, with me, uh, going to the University of Kansas now, and we did a lot of work on, on pencil whipping and trying to see how quotas impact it and things like that. And, you know, that's, that's the, you know, blaming the worker. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything else, but hundred percent safe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we start trying to adapt an observation method, we don't want hundred percent safe. The, the integrity of the programs, if we can identify risk, we got to find the sources of variance that are out there, which brings us to my third point, mm-hmm. throw away your card. If it's not finding risk, yeah. you don't need, if, if PPE is hundred percent, everybody's, you know, wearing their gloves right. and take the damn thing off the card. And then right. somebody goes, well, what if they stop doing it? Like, well, they're not doing it because it's on the card. It's fluent now. We've already got it. Right. So, so a dynamic card, these static cards end up with pencil whipping and, and they can't be right. trimmed. You got to find risk. And mm-hmm. that should be a metric of your behavioral safety program or any, any program, the ability of the inspection techniques to find variance in your equipment, the, the ability of audits to find variance in your processes and the, uh, the behavioral safety to find variance in behaviors, right? Mm. And so I'm telling people to throw out their card, sit down with work teams, not necessarily you know, a BBS committee, people who are doing high risk, high variance jobs, right? So like changing out a motor at a refinery, right? I, um, you know, they, the workers will tell you that's the one, right? We don't get to do it that frequently and there's all the yeah, other stuff. Yeah. Um, Matt, my student did this with a chemical manufacturing plant close by. Um, and, you know, there was a, they're working with polymers and the like, uh, and all different sorts. And they sat down and they identified what were these high risk tasks from a safety perspective, working with safety folks we are going, okay, where's the next SIF? right? Mm-hmm. Serious injury fatality. Um, we're not worried about somebody bumping their elbow. We can get that from our near misses and, and uh, minor injuries. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Scott. Close calls. Minor injuries. <laughs> so redesign the cards with the workers who are doing it. First mm-hmm. of all, the process, the group process by identifying the task and then going through step-by-step and doing that task. What are the hazards? You know, I'm going to come in contact with a blade when I'm cutting the cord. I'm going to come back with weight, with heat, with with other people around, right? So now I know the step in the task. I know the hazard. And then I say, okay, during the step in the task to mitigate this hazard, what's the behavior you're going to do to keep yourself safe? Bam, that's a pinpoint. Then you get a list of these things. And then you write them down. You give it to that work team. Next time you do this job, you know, and it's theirs. They're going to fill it out. And the whole point is let's find out where the new guy or the old guy or uh, where we may be skipping some of these steps. I'm not asking for help when I'm starting to release the motor. I'm not checking, uh, taking a five minute break and doing a situational check, you know, those kind of things. The the kind of things you can think about when everybody's standing back watching somebody doing it. I think that's, that's, that's the direction I'm heading in terms of a dynamic card. And, you know, once they master it, yeah, once they're once they're at hundred percent, put the card in the library. You know, pull it out in a year. Build right. another card. Get good at what we call pinpoint. Get good at getting the work team together, doing a ten minute exercise, creating a card, giving it to them, letting them give each other feedback until that that 
is mastered. And then maybe you're not going to pull out a motor for three months. Everybody's not used to it. Now you got this car. It's yeah. different than a standard operating procedure, right? Yeah. Or, you know, any version, whatever acronym for that, because right. those tend to be work steps, right? Mm. And then it may say proper PPE or permitting or something like that. This actually tells the worker in their body actions, cut away, call for somebody at this point, step back, take a drink of water. And it comes from their wisdom. And so I think to answer your question in terms of the the old observation form, really the only reason you need an observation form is to collect it and and trend the data so you can do these analyses to determine what systems need to be be worked on. But it comes down to the worker, you know, uh, let's, let's get to where they are and where they know the risks are. Let's use that knowledge to pull that out, right? Just yeah. that conversation with the engineer, the safety professional, HOP, HOP professional in that conversation, as they talk about behaviors, they're going to step back and go, well, why do you got to cut the tape when you can just right. put a piece of Velcro on it? Right. Problem solved. Yeah, exactly. So I think so. That's that's my that's my take on it. And, and by the way, you know, we got we got smartphones, and I've had any number mm-hmm. of folks out there, entrepreneurs, want to you know work with folks like me to try to create the you know the the easy kind of swipe right, swipe left. Right. If you just incidentally, our our university is coming back in the fall. We have some fifteen thousand. Uh, young kids from all around the region coming up to my mountain hamlet, and uh, we're going to have a big virus outbreak, right? Uh-huh. So, what's yeah. a better opportunity to you know implement a little behavioral safety right. here in, right. uh, in at F State? And so, we got a we got a company called Habitude who has a real easy behavioral safety uh, observation app. And you just swipe right, swipe left on the pinpoints that the student teams are going to come up with. And we're going to have a psychology club out there doing observations, giving feedback and make sure we get, you know, 100 percent around nice. mask wearing and social distancing. Nice. And show the world we cool. can apply what we got here. So there, there, are, <laughs> there are software solutions out there yeah. where you don't have to have a whole bunch of paper. One of the big problems was, you know, you had to have an administrator sit down and enter these hundreds and hundreds of data sheets coming in. Um, now I think uh, we got, we got an opportunity to to clean that up. Yeah. And I I think it's even similar to, um, you know, when we think any of these forms or things that we use in the workplace, uh, I think event reporting is a good one that comes to my mind where we still have to follow some of the basic principles, right? It it needs to be, uh, you have to minimize anxiety and maximize accessibility and make it intuitive and easy to use. And people are more likely to use it if it doesn't suck, I guess is a better way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> a better way. And, you know, we don't, uh, one thing from a, um, you know, behavioral perspective, we're not actually taking the time, we should be, looking at our other safety systems and ask ourselves, are they behaviorally viable? Are they changing the behaviors we want them to change? First of all, right? I mean, are they actually influencing what they influence? And, but secondly, engaging in these systems and these forms and these trainings, and the, those are behaviors in and of themselves, right? right. Pencil whipping right. is a behavior. Right. And, and right. we can do something about it. So, you know, I, I always challenge my clients and, and, and folks I get to talk to, like, okay, let's let's look at your safety, your discipline system. Is it behaviorally viable? Your right. inspection system. How we were just working, uh, my students now were just working with a manufacturing uh, firm here in North Carolina, um, working on their safety measurement systems. And then, you know, we just asked the behavioral question, what decisions are you making off of this data? Mm-hmm. No, we're just, we're giving it to maintenance and operations and so they can help them make decisions. Okay, so what are you using with their data? And we're finding out that uh, the behavior that we want is for one 
the maintenance folks to look at the safety data and the safety data uh, and do something with it. Well, was that happening? No, <laughs> you know, it's just a meeting that everybody had to go to and yeah. suffer through, right? So, so now, you know, let's create a dashboard where the, the safety data and the maintenance data is kind of correlated, right? Mm. This set of machines tends to be showing showing up on the near miss radar and the behavioral radar, right? And you're and you get this one kind of maintenance request from it. That maintenance request would probably highly prioritized over another piece of equipment that hasn't shown these, you know, the safety systems uh, sending up blips, right? And and so from the behavior standpoint, you want the maintenance coordinator to prioritize and all the behaviors are going behind that. Let's let's give them the tools to do it. So I think, you know, all the all the safety systems, the behavioral BBS systems, it's one little piece. You can what you're trying to do with every safety management system is influence behavior, either at the front line through the, you know, engaging in these safety systems. Right. You know, and, right. that's, and, and that's one thing we got to think about. Yeah. And that's exactly it. You know, it's, it's kind of back to that point, right? I mean, we're going back and we're thinking kind of deeper into the system. What is influencing that behavior or producing that behavior? What's, what's, what's causing that. And I, I love your point into other safety systems because uh, I think um, metrics and incentives and all, that's a really good example of some situations where we're, where we're probably um, just personal experience seeing some of these, you know, often we create, the behaviors we don't want to create oh, yeah. in this situation. Your, your, you, your system is perfectly designed to get the results that you get. Exactly, right. And, and exactly. from here, your, your environment is perfectly shaped to get the behaviors you want. Right. Right. And there's a dirty little secret out there. Um, managers and leaders are humans too. And they <laughs> right. behave. Right. 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 And we forget right. how, how a lot of our safety systems are trying to influence them, right? We're trying to, you know, uh, bubble up data. We're trying to bubble up it. when when the safety uh, pro has to go to their boss and genuflect and bow and try to get a budget item, right? You know, that decision is a behavior, and you know, you know we know how to we know how to uh, influence that. And so, you know, the the idea of behavior just being BBS um, really just you know you're really shortchanging the, Very, the opportunities yeah. there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and and that's kind of where I, where I was kind of going next is so much of the way this is applied, um, whether it's uh, behavioral, uh, trying to shy away from the BBS term a little bit. I'll just just say behavioral. Hard to do. (laughs) Right. It was marketed really well. (laughs) Or going going down the HOP route or just anything with that. So much of the ways that we go with this stuff is, is determined by the organization's underlying assumptions, right? So the assumptions that they make around people, um, if the organization believes that people are a problem to control and you insert HOP, they're still going to end up blaming people. Yeah, <laughs> and trying to solve them, trying to solve the person, yeah. I, th- I think we, 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 you, can, you can observe that pretty quickly in some of the first iterations of human performance improvement um, in a way, in around the way that many organizations even tuned their root cause analysis to be able to basically blame people for not using oh. human performance tools hard enough. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's like my second story in the book, right? Right, exactly. Uh, of the of the uh, oil uh, oil and gas uh, you know upstream uh, group that. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, you know, I, t- I can tell you a different story than the one I put in the book. You know, I was in Australia. We were going around the world uh, doing safety culture assessments for uh, one of the large gold mining uh, in- interests in the world. 
And, uh, you know, it, what's cool about working with a really big organization is they do some stuff really, really well, you know, and you get to kind of play with it. And so they had this uh, near miss reporting, uh, minor injury near reporting tool. And this is maybe 10 years ago. So like the online uh, thing was just new and the pull down menu is new. And so I was just fiddling around with it. They showing me how to put it in. I said, okay. So, the, and then, you know, oh, wow, I got the root causes over here. And so I go to the root cause and I, I click that button and the whole menu pops up. Guess what the first one was? Human error. Human error. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I said, okay, uh, hey, you, can you have access to the data at this plant? Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me how many times human error shows up? <laughs> 80 percent right and then that's and and the same thing with the bbs you know um one of our accredited sites um uh, a refinery in illinois had a great program on their card they even had a place after you check off the the behaviors uh for um kind of a root cause thing they called it some barriers i think right Mm -hmm. and you check uh uh didn't have the right uh, tool handy, you know, some really good thought through things, but the first one was personal choice. (laughs) So I asked their coordinator, a friend of mine now named Tim, like how many times this picked? And he looked it up and goes, "Uh, 65%. And that's where I started going. Okay. Now, now then what happens? Wait, what do you do after that? What do you do? Because you, you blame the worker and workers are now blaming themselves. And so what do you end up with is, well, awareness sessions. Hey guys, we've got to wear our PPE. And everybody goes, yeah, we PPE. And then a week later, you're back to the same environment. Mm-hmm. And so retraining and all these antecedent based kind of things come out of if we, and we don't even blame the work. We just say, Hey, it's a person problem. Yeah. Um, and you know, from, from the HOP standpoint, one of the clear kind of uh, marketing signals out there is human error is going to happen. Right. right? People are going to be stupid. No, (laughs) no. Your environment has been perfectly set up to get that human error. Use your HOP skills instead of Mm -hmm. focusing on the person, focusing on using the information that we learn from people to not put them in the position or better stated, put them in the position to engage in the safe performance, safe behaviors. Right. And, and that's, that's where I I really, I really love that we really do come back to the same point when when we're viewing these behaviors, when we're, when we're seeing these behaviors, we're seeing it as the window into something yeah, rather, yeah. Than, rather than as the starting or rather than the ending point, we're seeing as the starting point of digging into starting something. Point. Right. Yeah. And, and I think fact, that, that's you know, it. When you really drink the Kool-Aid, you see an observation of risk is as a, as a win. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm glad we saw that because right. if it's happening here with this person, the next person doing this job is probably doing it or they're probably doing it at another plant or another shift. So now that we right. see it, thank you very much, uh, my right. fair worker. You know, now now we know and think, you know, you're going to be involved in the solution. Absolutely. It is the it is the lens that we often forget. And it's, it's a lens that can get really cloudy if mm. indeed blaming the worker, discipline, uh, kind of that uh, fix the person um, really clouds it up and we're not going to get access to that. So there is a human, there's a human uh, consideration there. You make all cultural where, you know, finding risk is celebrated as opposed to uh, being something that needs to be hidden. Right. Well, and with that, it's, it's, it's back to our nature a little bit there. It's so simple. If we can just find the villain and, and fix the villain or get rid of the villain, then it all goes away. Right. And we can, it just, it's so simple. If we, can do, we can just do that. But nope. it, it, exactly. Yeah, the, reason, the, the reason that you like the, the 
cover of the book and it's my wife's fault. Um, you know, <laughs> what are you blanking stupid? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, when I was doing this as, as speeches before I wrote the book, I used to have a little, you know, the line there, you can't trick stupid Ron White's line. And so yeah. obviously I can't yeah. name a book after that because I <laughs> probably already did it right now, but uh, it all respect for him. So, um, the idea is like, you can't change a person if you're going to call them stupid, which they're not no. right. No. There's nothing to fix. And then what do you, you know, what do you do? You just call, you know, just try to retrain them. That's not going to work. And then if you switch them out and put another person in that same environment, guess what's going to happen? The same behavior. So it's, it's really just a wasted set of effort. It's easy to just kind of wash your hands and, and externalize it. But I always think safety professionals would rather have something they can change, something they can impact as opposed to something they can't. And the reason why, you know, a lot of our peers out there get really frustrated is because they are trying to change people, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, they'd rather be empowered to do something they actually have control over. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. And that, that was that was the next word that I was going to use the f word, frustration. <laughs> right? Is <laughs> because it, it is it is right when when you when you go down that path in organization, you feel that in organizations too, where they're going down that path of of trying to fix people and they just haven't quite woken up to the fact that you can't, and you end up with stand downs and you end up with retrainings yeah. and you end up retrain. with these communications of saying you should try more, you should care more. If you did, none of this would happen. And either way, it's, 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 it's still a way of blaming the, the people, right? It's a, even if it's a more roundabout way, right? Yeah, we found I, that I in the human performance yeah, space. I, mean, too. I just, I gotta, I, I have uh, plenty of things that my colleagues can call me out on. And, right. uh, and that's, that's just the open uh, nature of, of all of us improving. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, just to, just to be a little bit, uh, oh, what's the word here? Uh, risque, right? I dare you to go look at ASSP's list of presentations from last week or the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. I don't know when this is coming out, but when it came out, just look at the, the, the titles and see how many times you see mindset or attitude or, you know, words like that, which are just different ways of labeling, right? right. Has the wrong attitude, let's like values. We don't know people's values. We can't measure that and we can't change them, right? The only way we change these things is through changing behavior to begin with. And so I think, you know, we perpetuate it when, when you know, high price consultants come in with a really cool can of beans that has cool names and cool graphics. And, you know, this construct leads to that construct leads to that constructs. It, it's almost perpetuating leadership by going, oh, if we really just had the right mindset and, you know, set the right values, everything's going to fall into place. And then, therefore, anybody that varies from that, since we're so smart and we've created these values, are at fault. When in right. fact, you know, you just played word salad. You just, you know, right. might as well just be playing Pictionary right. and in your boardroom and, and call it a day because that is not changing the system that impacts behavior. So, you know, I think we got to point at ourselves as an industry helping other people uh, through our podcasts. And, and, um, and, and it takes a lot not to fall into that uh, human intuition piece, you know, yeah. where it feels right to me. So I think everybody else is going to buy this, this right. stuff right. as well. So, um, right. Well, and it, it, like I said, it feels good. And a lot of times it feels like the right thing to do. Right. And, and especially when you, uh, even kind of coming back to some of the observation piece and just general organizational stuff, um, like rule breaks is a really good example, right? You've got, and of course you can find someone that's breaking a rule somewhere, 
<laughs> right? I probably broke a hundred of them driving here today, right? Yeah, Just general societal <laughs> rules and norms, right? I probably yeah. broke a bunch of them, right? Yeah. Uh, Phoenix traffic is interesting. I'll just, I'll just say that. Oh, think about this you know, rule. Uh, rules are self-perpetuating, mm, right? Yeah. Um, as soon, it, it, if you, you've got this change the worker mentality, right? You, you got training, you got policy, and then rules are one of your tools to try to change a person, right? And it's behavioral. Right. It works. A good rule works. The problem is that you turn in a, a close call, right? That kind of scares the safety professional. They go out and they create a new rule. Mm-hmm. And so then your safety management systems are what I call a rule mill. They're just creating new yep. rules. And then, of course, what is the worker going to do? They're not going to pay attention. You know, there, there's too many of them. First of all, they're cumbersome. And then you, you don't want to engage in any of the safety processes, like turning in an observation and you're missed, because it's going to encumber you with another layer of PPE or rules, right? right. You know, so so we got to be very careful about, you know, the kind of things we put into place. Yeah. And even even with that, I really love that that point, because that that's often what happens. And it's really, um, folks are... are almost indirectly disciplined for reporting something at that point, because now we're forced right. a, a new rule, right? We're punished yeah. ultimately because now I got in trouble because I didn't have a lid on my coffee cup. And now there's a rule that says I'll, I'll get three days off if I don't have a, a lid on my coffee cup. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> just, just a really good example. But I think the interesting part with a lot of that too, is even when we find these, these rule breaks, right? When we observe something like that, so often it's not that someone just chose to break a rule. Right. They found themselves in this position. And if they found themselves in this position, others have and others will as well. Right. And so it's still back to that point, even in those organizations, when you see that. And I, I won't pick on the golden rules or the super special rules that a lot of organizations have in particular, but I've, I've, I've kind of known for that. I get in trouble for that one. But, 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 but when, when, when we see that in our ultimate first instinct is to go, oh, my God, no. And we want to react and lash out at the employee. What's wrong with punish, you? Yeah. Right. What's wrong? Well, stupid, it is right, an emotional right. moment. I mean, right. the person could get hurt or killed. Absolutely. Right. right. Yeah. And you yeah. see that and, you know, you, you have this, uh, this emotional reaction for a variety of reasons, right? You don't want to see them get hurt. If they get hurt, that dings your job. You got all kinds of stuff to fill out. Right. You just got to talk. And it's emotional. So it's a bit of a catharsis to sure. jump at the person. And, you know, yeah. that's, that's totally natural. That's, that's going to happen. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And it is the, you know, it is, is the nature of us to do that, but stepping past that, you know, once you get to that and having the conversation to find out why it's happening, there, there could be rule breaks, what do we could be? There are rule breaks that are intentional, right? Absolutely. They're calculated risk. Mm-hmm. So talking to the person will help you understand what the calculation was. And once you know the calculation, then you can change the variables in it. So the yeah. weights don't add up to, for him or her or anybody else in that position to make the same calculated risk. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I, I just, I love, um, I love sharing it this way is that um, whether it's, it's a, I don't want to even throw the word violation out there because that's, that's a whole nother can of worms when we start talking about like painting these different types of behaviors. right? <laughs> but but when, when you, when you go out there and you, and you uh, have that, or you have an event or you have something, um, anything negative occur right out, out in the, uh, out in the workplace. Um, then again, as you said, that, that first reaction is to do that. Right. And, but then unfortunately, a lot of times the organization will then follow that up with a stick Right. Well, okay. they'll, fo- they'll follow up that rule breaker, that violation with a stick when really um, in those situations where it's 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 
possible to do so where it's not with malice or intent, you know, to actually go out and learn from those things. We should probably just be trying to learn from them, right? And understand, to me, it's this, is that it made complete and total sense to that person until it suddenly didn't anymore. Right. right. It was, it was exactly that. I mean, and, and, and that's, that's how I can describe, yeah, that's how I can describe any event to anyone. Right. Is it made complete and total sense to the person involved until they said, ow. <laughs> right? so, and it's, it's for me as a safety professional, I've always kind of viewed it. Uh, our role is to understand why it made sense. It seems like mm-hmm. a really good place to learn is understanding, trying to get, uh, it, you know, even kind of getting back into some of Decker's stuff from the field guide, getting into that tunnel and understanding what the employee could see, what the employee could smell, what the employee could touch, the local Absolutely. indicators that they could see, and trying mm-hmm. to, as, as impossible as it is, trying to move past hindsight and known outcome and all this other kind of stuff that we have now, the gifts that we have now, um, but really trying to drive into understanding why it made sense to that person. Yeah, I think there's some magic so, there, right? Yeah, and it's called talking. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, make that, I mean, we use the word culture out there. I use it in my book, you know, mm-hmm. you know dysfunctional practices that kill your safety culture, and, but nobody knows what it is. And um, finally, I get somebody with a little bit of behavioral background can say, well, let's make a behavior out of it. It's just talking, right? right. Talking, talking is a behavior and yeah. it is your culture. People are talking to each other and yeah. that talking could, could teach each other shortcuts. Yep. Right. It could it could be a supervisor pushing production or it could be a peer coaching a peer or it could be a safety professional asking somebody what was the environment that put you in a position to take this risk. Yep. And, and that is what culture is. And a marvelous thing about cult, uh, talking is uh, it, it's probably only second observing to learn stuff. Mm. Right. And so in the end, when somebody talks and trying to explain, you know, let's say there was a violation or, or whatnot, right? And you're asking the person what put them in that position. Them just talking it through, right, helps them articulate the calculation. And then once they hear themselves say it, they're like, wait a second, that doesn't add up. Right. And then that's all the intervention you need, you know. It's, right. it's, 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 but, but talking is the, is the undervalued piece of this all. Absolutely. And, and unfortunately, when you get upset and frustrated and you blame the worker, talking just goes the other way. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't want to talk to your workers because you're afraid of them. And they don't want to talk to you because they, you're the source of, uh, of, of this punishment. And, right. uh, you know, it's a simple thing. Yeah. No, and I love your point on talking because it's, it is, that's exactly it. I, I hadn't thought about it just from a talking perspective, but you're, you're spot on. I mean, it's uh, in organizations as even the good and the not so good. And as you mentioned, the ways we do things and all that, it's almost this form of industrial folklore that's passed around through workers and through the generations of our workers. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's very neat. I love, I love the way you put that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, people say, well, we don't have time to talk. You know, we, we can't set up all these, but, but I said that it's already happening. People are talking. Absolutely. It happens at the right. beginning of the shift, during the right. shift, happened in the parking lot, going home at the bar, you know, the talking yeah. is happening. Um, yeah. And it's such a powerful tool. Powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. In the end, so, it's so powerful. I, th- I think uh, so. A, a lot of what I'm taking away here is that we're a lot more like than we're than we're different, and that's that's really that's really what I want to um, share with folks out there that are tuning in. Um, I, I joke about this a lot because I kind of pigeonholed myself when I called the show the hot nerd, and I, I live with it. I stick with it. But for me, a, a lot a lot of where I go is just down this path of doing things better. 
right? And I think we learn lessons from all over the place. And it's not just contained to safety where we learn our lessons from. But there's so many different schools of thought. And I don't even like to say camps or tribes just because there's such a negative tone associated with kind of what we got. I mean, go any, anyone out there can go and log into LinkedIn right now and just look, right? Oh, there's yeah. people fighting about safety right now <laughs> as we speak, <laughs> instead of having really good productive conversations. I don't mean agreeing. I think dissent is a great thing and having those arguments yeah. is a great thing because I think that's how we get better. But I think at the end of the day, as we kind of touched on early on, is that we're in this thing together and we're all trying to do the same thing. And ultimately we're trying to make people's lives better. That's ultimately what we're trying to do. We're we're trying to make the world a better place to work. And hopefully through that, making the world a little bit better place in general. Yeah. I I doubt, I, I believe that in uh, the very core of my being. Um, I've been to, uh, you know, clients in Africa and uh, have spent a decade down there trying to crack uh, that nut in the, in the mining industry. Right. And the first day I was down there about a decade ago, we went to, to Soweto in South Africa. And, uh, you know, so here I am, a, a, a white American uh, pro- protesting apartheid when I was in college. I remember that and, and, and personally thinking Nelson Mandela and others were heroes, as well as the citizenry. Right. Mm-hmm. And then see it in person. But then uh, I just did a blog on this uh, because the, the racial issues in our country kind of brought this back up, right. you know. And, and here I am right after that, uh, uh, teaching a group of trainers uh, uh, the science and uh, the, you know, kind of a behavioral safety process that, that they were going to go out and train in their projects. And I started talking to them. And I realized that these projects are all over Africa, Zimbabwe and the Congo and up in yeah. Ghana and South Africa. And they're in rural areas because, you know, God didn't put the gold in, in or in the middle of cities, right? right? right. <laughs> Except for Johannesburg. <laughs> right, right. And so, so you know, then we go out to these sites and I see that half of the workers uh, have to be local, you know, the, mostly contractors through government laws and it's the right thing to do. So, they, so they're, they're building the economy and the knowledge of that area. And then I see one of my trainers starting to talk to these folks and, and building this kind of talking and, and building uh, this, this looking out for each other, brother's keeper, teaching people the basics of safety. Mm-hmm. And it just occurred to me that, man, you know, we get this right. We start bickering, understanding we're on the same mission. Yeah, we can change the world because these, these workers are now going back to their villages and to their families mm-hmm. and having the same conversations. And I think incrementally we can make that change in the world. And, and the most impactful thing was, uh, you know, and I got back together with the team, you know, we were having beers and the like, and I find out this one individual I'd taken a liking to, his name was Artwell, he was in the African National Congress and, and was beaten within like a minute of his life by police officers at the end of apartheid. And then sitting here right next to us with a beer uh, was a guy named Michael, who was a police officer during apartheid. And both of them together, two different of ancestries, both in the same countrymen, uh, working together to try to figure this thing out for their country, for their for their continent, you know, for their company. And man, talk about like feeling small and uninformed as an American. Yeah. But at least we all had the same mission and I get to be a part of that. And I think you, myself, your listeners, I think that is the take home because we know that influencing and, and having having a positive effect on the folks on their job, they're going to take it home 
to their to their communities, to their kids, and uh, that's where it really gets exponentially cool. Yeah, I was I was going to I was going to ask you any any last thoughts, but I think you nailed it. I think I think <laughs> I think you nailed it right right there. I don't even want to, let me let me let me let me ask you this. How can people get a hold of you? Because you mentioned the blog, you got the yeah. blog going on, you got some podcasting going on, you got all kinds of cool it's stuff podcast. happening. How can people find all that? How can people find you? You're obviously on LinkedIn and those places too, but how, how can people find yeah. you? I have a buddy who uh, does marketing for a living and he, he just, he gets mad at me. He just calls it my hobby. <laughs> I'm not that good at it. I, you know, I do my best. All right. I do my right. best. But yeah. Um, I got uh, yeah safety-doc.com. Uh, you can go to, you just look me up and uh, that's my website. And, um, on it, I got uh, blogs, which basically stuff I just have to get out of my head. Right. And then I read my blog and we call that a podcast. <laughs> so, I like it. I like it. <laughs> so, so that's there. Um, we got, uh, we got the book out. There's a, I have a number of books out, but they're mostly scholarly. And, and if you can't go to sleep at night, you can read those. <laughs> Uh, but writing a new book, um, it's the I have a it's going to be a trilogy. Uh, Dysfunctional practice is the first one. Uh, the second one is going to be called uh, Kids on Rebar: Reinforcing Your Safety Culture. I'm going to teach you guys about reinforcement. Uh, you think it's so easy? You pat somebody back, kiss them on the cheek, and then they do what you want. No, it, it's it, there's a lot of science behind it, and uh, we're going to learn about it. Kids on Rebar, and the third one is going to be on um, kind of this team-based culture stuff. The the behavioral uh, reason and the in the approaches to to empowering workforces that's going to be called it's not my car which is a another one so i got a lot of writing to do so those will be coming out um and i guess the only other thing that uh, i would uh, let people know about is uh, we have a little uh, safety com- conference up here in our mountains once a year it's called the appalachian safety summit you can just put appalachiansafetysummit.com and you'll find that uh, it, uh, it's all ready to go. We had to go virtual this year. Mm. So I'm pulling in uh, colleagues in the behavioral community and other places, uh, and we're going to tackle virtually the uh, behavioral approaches to COVID infection prevention, right? Um, so beyond wear a mask and socially distance, you know, we're answering the how. And so we got a, we got our behavioral folks, Scott Geller and, and some other folks, so myself, the, let's see, we got uh, Cindy Sigurdsson and Nicole Magravina from kind of the academic side. We got John Austin and others from the uh, consulting side, but we're also bringing in an infection control doctor. So we can talk wow. about here are where the real hazards are. Here's where we get design interventions around. And as part of our science, we have uh, the statistics in behavioral science. Uh, we chart our data. We chart our behavioral data on what we call acceleration charts. So we're going to have somebody teach us how to look at a acceleration chart of COVID inf- infections to try to be predictive of uh, you know, where your county may be going so you can make decisions. So we're, we're hoping that uh, we can kind of be relevant this year in a virtual format, but uh, we do it every year. You know, you want to come back to the mountains, bring it on. Well, we do this once a year and uh, yeah, up here in yeah. Appalachian State. Um, otherwise, uh, please reach out. You know, we're a community and we need to learn from each other. And, and the reason why I have so much to say is certainly not because I'm smart. It's uh, because I have had so much contact with so many amazing people who have taught me through their challenges and taught me through their solutions. So you know, let's have that conversation. Let's keep this conversation going, right? Exactly. And that that's awesome. That's the one thing that I tell people all the time. Don't be shy because it seems like everyone in this space, there's an amazing community that we're growing and everyone's ready to talk. So don't yeah, don't yeah. hesitate to reach out to folks. Um, 
that's awesome to hear that you guys are moving forward. You're going to have a virtual conference. That's super cool. I've seen that. That's been on my radar. That looks super cool. At some point, I'm going to have to swing back through there and get to visit the mountains, two birds, one stone, and come hang out with you guys. That would be, that'd be a lot of fun. Please there. Do it. Please so, do it. You can simulcast I, it if you want on your on, uh, top nerd. There we go. That would be a blast. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, I just want to say thank you. Let me say that, number one. Thank you for coming on. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to come hang out. I know our listeners out there are going to love this one. Um, it's just, it's cool. And I really appreciate it. I appreciate the conversation. I think it's going to bring a lot of value. And I really, really believe that that this conversation is going to help us begin to move in that direction of of betterment together. And I think that's the key, the key thing here is that it's, it's together. We can make this thing happen. If we're fighting and bickering about this stuff, we're never going to get anywhere. We'll get there. Don't worry. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank (laughs) you, my friend. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I know exactly. I know exactly what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, well, that's not what I expected it to be. You heard those dirty little letters, BBS, and you tuned out. Right. You heard it right at the beginning and you heard those dirty little letters, BBS, and you heard what you really heard was BS. <laughs> exactly. Right. Me, too. I get it. And rightfully so in a lot of respects. But what I really enjoyed about this conversation is that Tim really highlighted. He really highlighted a lot of the areas which were not all that different. Right. And as I was I mentioned Tim's book. As I was reading his book, I got through the first little bit of it. And I'm going, this guy's talking about hop, <laughs> right? In a lot of ways. I mean, we were talking about a lot. Of, we had we shared a lot of similar thoughts. And I guess that's where I'm going is labels aside. Let's put the labels aside for a moment. What Tim really talked about here today was how we can do safety better. And that's the point. No matter what we want to call this thing, we get too tied up in our tribes and we forget that they don't matter. What really matters is that we're moving forward and we're trying to make safety better, that we're trying to do safety better. Well, there you go. That was it. What do you think? Look, I go back and listen to this one all the time. So like second, third, fourth time is always the charm. Excellent, excellent episode. Again, make sure you check out everything that Tim is up to. Excellent stuff. Um, I'm still out. So I'll see you when I get back into PHX and I get back into Phoenix town. That's it. Reach out. I still got my computer. Still got my phone. Love to chat with you. Make sure you follow along on social media. Make sure you're tuning in, checking out the websites, tuning in, checking out the websites. If you're not subscribed to this podcast, subscribe. Leave us some reviews. It helps us an absolute ton. Go tell your friends, your families, your frenemies. Tell everybody about this lunatic that screams into a microphone uh, about doing safety better and, you know, doesn't completely suck at it. So there you go. Sam Goodwin, The Hot Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye.